You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This is a, a hacking technique. Uh, that's often combined with other techniques uh, of hacking into computers and so on. But that human angle can can really help get a first foothold into an organization. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Carol Terrio returns, and she's interviewing Chris Kirsch, co-founder and CEO of RunZero. They're talking about OSINT sources and vishing pretexts from DEF CON's social engineering competition. All right, uh, Joe, before we jump into our stories here, we have a couple of bits of follow-up. That's correct, Dave. We have some people who wrote in about disposable email addresses. Mm. Uh, First, Jim writes in to tell us that if you have Yahoo Plus, you can have disposable emails, as many as you want. Um, Okay. And they require you to set up a different base email address, and then you can append different strings after that of your choosing, just like with Gmail, but you have a different base email address for the disposable ones. Oh, okay. He says, that seems smart. Yeah. He says he thinks he has like around 150 of them right now that he's using, uh, and they all use uh, a different base address. So he's actually got different base addresses. I guess you can set those up as well, so they don't expose his true uh, Yahoo login account, which is uh, oh. account login, rather, which is really a good idea. Uh, yeah. And you can you can delete them when you're done using them, and if they get compromised, you can delete them then, too. You can delete them anytime, really. Right. And that's an added benefit. Yeah. Uh, Richard also wrote in to tell us about Simple Login uh, and notes that it was recently acquired by ProtonMail. Okay. And it provides users with email aliasing with varying degrees of anonymity. You can use a generic simple login email address, or you can have your own uh, domain or subdomain uh, that has a uh, an email address on it as well. They'll, they'll forward emails to you directly. Uh, mm. But you can also automatically create email addresses based on wildcards and regexes. Huh. Regex, regular express. Reg, I can't even say it. Regular expressions. <laughs> if you um, if you are a uh, if you're a, a software engineer or you're a, a Linux programmer or have done anything in in Unix, then you know what a regular regular expression is. It's a hard thing to say, and they're kind of hard to write <laughs> unless you know what they are. But okay. once you get the hang of them, they're really really useful. Um, oh. So he has one where he can make up new emails on the fly. Uh, he said there's also a, a management dashboard that allows you to block incoming emails from any group of your aliases, any hey, or groups of your aliases. Um, yeah. On our spam call centers, uh, Jason wrote in to say he heard y- us talking about your your father, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, or was it last week? I, last, uh, I don't know. A, a couple weeks ago, yeah. It's yeah. been a while. And the Best Buy scam that he got, uh, he... Enclosed two links that we'll put in the show notes, but they are two YouTube channels. One of them, one of them is for Jim Browning, who is a uh, a guy that gets into these guys' networks, and another mm. one is for a group of people who have set up a center where they actually hack into these scam call centers. And Jim Browning is involved with that as well. Uh, mm. So they both have really good introductory videos on the front. Of the of the YouTube pages, so we'll put links in the show notes. Check those out; they're really good. Thank you, Jason, for sending them in. I've always been a big fan of of, of uh, Jim Browning, and that's not his yeah. real name, by the way. Um, <laughs> he actually goes through a lot of steps to make sure that the scammers don't find out who he is, because he's really making a lot of people angry. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I, I'm wondering if these guys have talked to attorneys, and I, if they haven't, I would recommend that they do. I don't know. Um, this is not something I would do, but if they're comfortable doing it, I'm glad they're doing it because they're really disrupting a lot of things and uh, a lot of crimes and they're getting in the middle of these guys' attacks, which is great. Yeah, uh, It's good stuff. Uh, check yeah. these things out. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for uh, sending us all of that information. We do appreciate it. Uh, Joe, we've got some good stories to share this week. Why don't you start things off for us? Dave, my story comes from darkreading.com. It's written by Erica Chikowski, and the headline is, For Gaming Companies, Cybersecurity Has Become a Major Value Proposition. The article starts off by saying there are a lot more gamers than ever before, 
And mm. you know, I, I think that if you have a, a population that's always growing, there's always going to be a lot more gamers than ever before. But well, I, think I the also point think is, COVID uh, drove yeah, a lot exactly. of people to, of or attracted that, a lot of people to gaming. I know a lot of people who were uh, couldn't wait to get their hands on a Switch to play Animal Crossing during the, yeah. during the lockdowns. <laughs> Both my kids play that game. I've never, I've, I've watched them play it, and I'm like, I'm not into this. I don't, I don't want to no. do this. This yeah. seems too much like work. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, my son-in-law has a game that he and his brother play that is that is you have to build a railway system and you have to actually go out and cut down logs to make railroad ties. I'm like, there's no way I'm ever playing that. Uh, <laughs> it, that doesn't seem like fun, but they love it. Um, right. And they, they play it together and build railway, railroads. It's fun. Huh. Okay. Um, anyway, you're right. As uh, as I get back from my digression, uh, it's they've been they make a point of saying that in the article that COVID has drawn a lot of people into gaming. Um, and there is a, uh, an issue here that these gaming companies compete with streaming services and other form of enter- other forms of entertainment. And if a gamer gets hacked or gets cheated, they may leave for other options like getting another game or if they get angry enough, I imagine just, just going and watching videos on Netflix for a little while, <laughs> going right? to the movies, taking a long walk in the park. Exactly. <laughs> Not gaming is the point, right? right? So right, the, right. <laughs> the the uh, the the point is that uh, that it's very important for these gaming companies to make sure that cheating and hacking are less of an experience problem uh, for the the player. I'm going to call right. them players. They're not really users. They're uh, not really customers. I'm going to say players. Um, okay. There's a guy who's the chief customer experience innovation officer at a company called Arise Gaming, which is a consulting firm that helps gaming companies improve customer satisfaction and gamer engagement for their platforms. His name is Jonathan Schroyer. And he says that if gaming companies are lax in security, their games will not succeed. And that mm. players of these games depend on the trust, credibility, and predictability when leveraging a brand's game. Uh, I think that means just playing the game. Uh, yeah. If they find out there was a hack or a fraud or other security issues, then the gaming company will see a dramatic drop in gameplay and hence revenue as well. Yeah. Uh, because people will not spend money on games that can be hacked uh, and where they can spend huge amounts of time acquiring things only to lose them to some scammer or hacker. Hmm. Akamai says that attacks on player accounts and gaming company websites have increased by 167% in the last year. Wow. Um, and then Kaspersky released a survey of over 10,000 gamers or of 10,000 gamers uh, in, the, uh, in the world, over the, all over the world. And yeah. 70% of regular gamers think hacking is a big problem in the gaming world. 70%. It's more than two-thirds. Hmm. Uh, 63% said their accounts aren't safe enough from attacks. Um, I, have, I have advice for those 63%. <laughs> get, get, put multi-factor authentication on all your accounts. Just do mm. it. Do it right now. Uh, do most gaming uh, platforms allow you to do that? They do, yeah. They okay. uh, Steam. I know that Steam and Epic do, um, and those are what I think of as gaming platforms and PC platforms. You know, it's an excellent question. What about um, like Xbox and uh, and PlayStation and and Nintendo? Do those do those companies? I don't I don't play on consoles very much. I mean, my console yeah. is. The console I have downstairs is a PS2. I mean, that's the that's the newest <laughs> thing I have in my house for console okay. gaming. Right. And it's, it's the one my son left when he moved out. Right. So I'm right. Not gonna play it. Still got your old Atari 2600 down there playing I, uh, Pong. Actually, I, and I do still have my Atari 2600 <laughs> in the house, Dave. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to ask my son, although I'm sure some of our listeners will write in also and, and let us know what the deal is on the consoles because I'm not, I'm not sure to what degree they allow multi-factor either. You'd think at this point they would, but right. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, something. They have to offer something, like a, a phone, yeah. uh, either like a code uh, from a from a security app on your phone, or uh, Microsoft might use their Microsoft Authenticator app uh, yeah. to log in. I don't know for Xbox. I, I don't know. I have literally never had an Xbox in my house. I have no idea. <laughs> I have had many. I'll have to ask my son. He, he knows. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> Uh, 33% of people reported that their accounts had been hacked within the last two years. Wow. Uh, and that's a lot, isn't it? That's yeah. a third of yeah. people that responded to this, this, this survey. And 89, almost 90% of gamers said they want game developers to pay more attention to cybersecurity issues. Huh. Um, now, 
Here's a nice crossover with Hacking Humans, Dave. They had yeah. our recent guest, Brett Johnson, chief criminal officer at Arco's Labs. And mm. he said, uh, what you have to realize is that criminals attack games for one of three reasons, status, ideology, or cash. Most attacks, 98% or more, are cash-driven. So criminals are looking for the easiest access that gets them the largest return on investment. Uh, so you should not be deluding yourself that they're not after you if you have anything that can be sold of value. Uh, because these guys, they're using credential stuffing attacks and social engineering scams to break into accounts, access in-game currency and unique items, and then they use third-place marketplaces to sell these in-game assets off-platform for real currency. Um, right. So what what this does is it creates a – the off-platform marketplace creates a great fence operation, right, mm-hmm. for you to uh, sell your stolen goods. Uh, but it also pre- presents an opportunity for laundering money. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what if I, what if I built something that was totally useless? Right. And then I created two accounts on this, on this off platform thing and wired a bunch of Bitcoin to myself uh, or sent a bunch of Bitcoin to myself. Now I have all this Bitcoin that I've just essentially laundered. Uh, hmm. And if I'm using, doing this properly with, with uh, keys that are, are secret and nobody really knows and can't really tie to me, then I, I, I may be able to get away with that. I'm not exactly sure if that works with money laundering, but um if that would be a good way, but that's how I think it would go on first. I'd have to think about this more, and I really haven't spent a lot of time because I yeah. have a It's an interesting about. idea of sending uh, of sending some money through one of the online gaming mm-hmm. platforms. Yep. Uh, as a as a stop along the way, sure. That would certainly make it harder to to track, and and it I would. wonder how much scrutiny those platforms are under for that sort of thing from law enforcement. Certainly, it's probably on their radar, but yeah, what's I the like priority it. there? Yeah, I liken it to an art auction, where it, hmm. that's also another way that money is laundered because there's the ability to to sell internationally to anonymous bidders, hmm. which really could just be you on the other <laughs> under the phone. I'm I'm selling this uh, I'm selling this portrait I drew or this portrait that I bought, and uh, now I'm going to buy it back from myself for uh, some larger, much larger amount of money, and uh, I'm going to put all my ill-gotten gains into the purchase, and then thus launder the money. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and that does work. I did a little research on that recently. Uh, hmm. Just out of my own curiosity, of course, Dave. It's, it's really the only reason. <laughs> right. But uh, there's there's one – I'm going to wrap this up here. I know I'm droning on. But the uh, the work of security executives is essentially winnowing out the malicious. And uh, there is a statement in this article that says this is going to take user education, outreach, foresight, and in design – Foresight in, the, in the design. You have to think about security while you're designing the product. Actually, I mm. say think about security earlier than that. Think about it in the requirements phase. What are the security requirements of the system? Uh, by the time you've gotten to design, now you're having to change requirements. Um, and, uh, of course, a lot of engineering work, which is true. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of things that have to be done. And, that, and that's kind of what I'm talking about with uh, thinking about how you're going to put security in at the outset of the system development. You know, a lot of these games are greenfield projects. You know, they're, they're new projects where you're going to start with a whole new code base. Start with security in that, in that process. Yeah, this is, I, you know, this is really interesting. I, I think about, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't say that I'm uh, an active gamer. There are a few games that I enjoy and that I, you know, dabble with. And if I need to, to kill some time or something that I'll, I'll go to. But I think about how uh, if my gaming experience wasn't very good or I found that I was losing the things that I had saved up in the game or earned or anything like that, or I was having trouble connecting. I mean, to me, that's kind of like, if you went to a movie theater and they had lousy sound or projection, you know, yeah. like the, the, yeah. the movie stopped in the middle and, you know, the lights came on in the middle of the show or the sound kept, you know, fading out or things like that. Well, I'd find another movie house. Yeah. You know, yeah, I have it. There was I, a movie I went to one time. It was actually the A-Team movie um, with Liam Neeson where I went to that movie with my son because, you know, it's a fun movie to go see. Right. Um, and the sound, you couldn't understand any of the dialogue going on in that theater. I, I've never been back to the theater. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You're right. And if, if a game becomes, uh, becomes un, unpleasant for me, I stop playing it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is uh, an interesting story. We will have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, so I'm going to talk about, once again, my dad. Okay. <laughs> I, I hope our, our listeners uh, aren't tired of hearing about my dad, but <laughs> I'm sure you know, this is 
this is real life stuff. This is, I'm t- this is all stuff that has actually happened uh, to my dear father. Um, and I have two incidences to share since the last time we talked about my dad. Uh, so I was chatting with my father a couple weeks ago. We we're just talking on the phone, catching up. And uh, I think probably some of our listeners know that uh, my mom passed away earlier this year. So mm-hmm. and we've just been spending um, extra time with my dad and just making sure that he's got everything he needs. And, you know, because uh, as, as tough as a time as it is for all of us, it's been particularly hard on him. So I check in on him regularly and uh, I was doing so. And uh, at the end of the phone call, he said to me, oh, Dave, uh, one more thing. He said, I, I have a little family issue that I'm hoping you can help me with. I said, of course, uh, you know, any, anything. What, what do you need? He says, well, I got an email from your cousin, Sandy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Says, and um, she's asking me to buy something from Amazon. And I don't know how to do that. So can you help me and help me buy the thing she needs from Amazon? I said, ho, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. It's okay. Slow down, down dad. Right. <laughs> what's, what's going on here? What is she? I said, you know, uh, let me guess. Let me guess. She's asking you to buy Amazon gift cards. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dad. Oh, Listeners dad. know how we know. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad forwarded me the, uh, the whole email exchange here, which I'm, I'm going to share with you. Uh, parts of. So there's some interesting things in here. I mean, this is a, just a classic uh, Amazon gift card uh, scam that is being executed through uh, an email account takeover. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm guessing that my cousin Sandy um, probably had uh, lax password hygiene, right? Probably there's probably a, a, a breach and her password got compromised and her email address, the bad guys got into her email account and probably hit up, you know, most of her people in her contact list. Right. So the first message says, sorry to bother you purchased from Amazon question mark. Now what's interesting here is that in the word Amazon, there's a space between the, O and the N at the yeah. end of the word. And the, and the N and the question mark. Right. And I wonder if that is to help evade filtering. In other words, if an email has the word Amazon in it. Right. And does doesn't come trigger, from Amazon. Right. Right. Is that, is that just something? You know, and I suspect it is. So that's the first email. Short, sweet, not, not much to it. So my father responds and he says, hi, Sandy, hope is well. I'm doing great. I'm not quite clear on your message. Could you try me again? And then uh, the person uh, pr- pretending to be Sandy writes back and says, it's nice to hear from you. I need to get an Amazon e-gift card for my cousin. It's her birthday today. I tried to order it myself, but my card got declined, had to contact my bank, and I was told I needed to wait three to five days for my new credit card to come in the mail. Can you assist me, place the order on Amazon, and have it sent to her email address? This would mean a lot to her. Thanks, Sandra. Okay. Okay. So interesting that uh, that it, I, this is a coincidence probably, but this is your cousin, and mm-hmm. uh, they're saying that their cousin is looking for a gift for the for maybe your dad knows who the cousin is. Yes, right. right. And doesn't say which cousin, just cousin. My cousin, yeah. Yeah. And you know, on that side of the family, there's a lot of cousins. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> could be could be anybody. I have a side so of my, family like that. Yeah. Yeah. So again, my father re- replies and he says, "I have never used Amazon and I don't know about computers." Uh, dear listeners, let me just verify this is all true. Right. <laughs> and that's one of the worst things you can say to a scammer. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Because right now they go, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, yeah, exactly. No, my home doesn't have an alarm system. <laughs> right. Um, so <laughs> he says, if you have another thought, I will do my best to help. Okay. So now the scammer's right back and they say, could you get it from any store around you? I'll refund as soon as I get back. Let me know if you can handle this for me. And my father replied and he said, I hope so. How much and who to? And they reply and say, the amount on the Amazon card should be $150. When you've gotten it from the store, kindly take a picture of the back pin and receipt also, then attach all to me so I can forward it to her. Let me know if you can handle this for me. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where it ended because that is the point where my you father- You stepped in. Yeah, well, and yeah, so my father did not know how to do this, thank goodness. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and contacted me. And so we we put an end to it and we we cut it off and we reached out to our cousin Sandy to let her know that her email had been compromised. She was not aware that her email had been compromised. Did you happen to ask her if she saw these messages in her sent folder? Uh, no, actually, I was not the person who reached out to her, so I, I didn't actually have that conversation. Okay. Uh, so it was more of an FYI. But uh, so, you know, this is a, a classic kind of thing, and, yeah. and I just feel lucky that I got in the middle of it when I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to explain to my dad that wh- exactly what was going on here and reiterate, because I know I've told him this before, that if anybody asks for any kind of gift cards, that that is a huge red flag. Right. 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 Your statement is correct. When you, when you hear gift cards, stop. That's the end right. of the discussion. We, we, right. okay, we're, we're done here. Somebody asking me for a gift card, you know, unless I, unless that was immediately preceded by me asking you, what do you want for Christmas or what do you want for your birthday or, or mm-hmm. insert your favorite holiday here. And then you say, uh, I would like an Amazon gift card. That's the only time I'm going to accept that as a valid input. Right. <laughs> right. Right. All other times are going to be like, Hey, I want an Amazon gift card. Hey, I don't care. That's yeah. That's that's an invalid. Who is who is this, and what have you done with my cousin? Right. Because <laughs> I know my cousin hates Amazon. <laughs> I would just start. Wow, you you hate Amazon. You, you're going to go with after after what you said at Thanksgiving. You're going to right. You're going to buy an Amazon gift card. <laughs> I mean, you really so, came down hard on Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah. So that is part one of the story. So part okay. two is about a week later. Uh, I'm here at my CyberWire office doing my work, minding my own business, when my phone rings and it is my father calling me. And so mm-hmm. I answer the phone and I can tell he's a little wound up about something and I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, and he says, he says, Dave, I think I have a situation here. I'm like, okay, all right, well, how can I help? And he had been pestered all morning long on his phone by someone trying to execute a tech support scam with him. Huh. And they had him all wound up that um, that he was going to be automatically charged a few hundred dollars for some tech support, uh, that they had his banking information, that it was it was going to happen. And unless they were able to get the right information from him and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, that this charge was going to go through. And my father's response to this was he he started calling his bank right. to see if any money had been taken out or if things had been transferred and so on and so forth. He started calling his credit card companies. So he's kind of going into a tizzy of activity here, doing his best with what he knows how to do to try to stop this. Right. Uh, and, and again, you know, his ability to do things are limited. So I suspect, you know, he wasn't giving them the easy answers that they wanted right on the other side. The scammers. The phone call. Right, right. Yeah. But so, but here's the part that I think is particularly interesting that, that makes me want to share this with our listeners, which is when I was in the aftermath of this, when I said to him, dad, just hang up the phone. You know, if they call back, don't answer. You're, right. Just, there's, and he said, but what about the money? Dad, there's no money. Right. What about this the charges to me? There's no charges. This is the same situation that happened with the Best Buy uh, yeah. scam. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Except in this case, he was actually talking to someone on the other line. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the interesting part. Here's the, the, the little nugget. Um, in my conversation with him, I said, Dad, you know, chances are these folks are from somewhere on the other side of the world. Uh, you know, they don't care about you. All they're after is your money. And there's somebody sitting in some kind of bullpen sweatshop uh, trying to scam you. And he said, you know, that's interesting that you said that. I'm glad you said that because the person I was talking to uh, spoke perfect English. Mm -hmm. But I could hear in the background somebody was talking to him in broken English and telling him everything to do. So every time I would respond, there was a person there telling the other person who spoke good English, uh, what to say. 
It was a training session almost. Well, it's a training session or, I mean, that's that's interesting. I had not considered that. Could be. Right. Or it could be that they put the person who had really good English right. in, in front and center, uh, but you had the person in the background who was actually had the social engineering skills, you know, the right. ability and to, knows the scam. to answer the questions. Right, knows the scam, the expert on the scam. Um, but that was a little bit of nuance that I hadn't really heard of before. I'm sure it happens. I, I just hadn't really considered it. You know, I'm, I'm, I suspect other people have experienced the same thing. But I thought that was an interesting little uh, tidbit from this one that was worth sharing and uh, just another bit to share with your friends and family to something to look out for, you know? Yeah, I mean, there Listen. are people in, uh, I'm imagining this was probably in India. Uh, because yeah. in India, there are people that are very good English speakers. Uh, because sure. the country has uh, a lot of their education is run in India. Um, yep. You know, they were a British colony for uh, a, a number of years, like like we were, and right. <laughs> um, you know, and and Ireland. So, the, you know, a lot of people in these in these areas speak very good English. Uh, yeah. And you know, if you get somebody who is a uh, a good actor, they can impersonate an, an accent. Um, yep. and that's all it takes is somebody who has the, the linguistic skills and the, uh, I guess accent skills. I mean, there is a special, um, area of, of acting that, um, yeah, the dialects and dialects. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause like, yeah. if you ever seen Helen, Helena Bonham Carter in fight club, I didn't know that she was British when I first saw that movie. Right. Um, <laughs> she is remarkably good in that movie. Right, right. Uh, and and comes across as an American. And uh, another one is uh, Edris Elba in um, in The Wire. Sounds like he like he grew up in Baltimore. It's yeah. amazing how good he is. Um, yeah. But he's British as yeah. well. Um, but you know, so that these these skills are out there and they exist and they can be developed. So you know, just because yeah. you're talking to somebody who sounds like they grew up next door to you uh, or grew up within the same country you grew up in, that's not a guarantee. It's just not yeah. a guarantee. So all's well that ends well with my dad. I mean, yeah. it's another near miss. Um, and I can't help feeling as though, you know, as I've said here before, that he's kind of a sitting duck. Uh, uh, I just educate him as much as possible. You know, we've got everything that he's got on multi-factor authentication. Yep. Uh, I get, you know, I, I'm on his bank account, so I get notices if there are large withdrawals or anything. You know, That's I've excellent. done all the things that I think I can try to do along with my siblings to try to look out for them and check in on them and make sure. And part of that is making sure that he's comfortable reaching out when he thinks he has a problem. And so that I'm happy that deal. he did that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. <laughs> I'm happy that he did that. Oh, maybe um, it's time for your dad to get a new phone number. You know, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking about that as part of the, the sitting duck thing because yeah. Does his number get put on a list? I am of almost positive ducks? it's on a list. Of, you know, this is an old guy who's not technically astute, and I have almost gotten him three times. Um, yeah, somebody's going to get him. So, they, and I'm sure it gets passed around. It's probably coming out of the same call center. Yeah, that would be yeah. my, or maybe it may be coming out. Of, I'm not going to say probably. It's it may be coming out of the same call center. Yeah, yeah. You never know. Yep. All right. Well, that's the latest, the latest uh, family update from me. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that dad didn't stories, get scammed. Yeah, me too. I, I'm just yeah. hoping that these stories uh, become fewer and farther between. And, uh, you know, gl glad I'm able to look out for him. Again, right. as I say, it's not just me. My siblings are, are looking out for him as well. So he's got a good support ne network around him. But, um, you know, it, it's really helped me also to have a better understanding of different people's abilities when it comes to these sorts of things and have empathy that you know, people just coming at this with all different skill levels and life experiences. Yes. All right. Well, those are our stories for this week. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Felipe, who says he would like to hear what our take on this one is. Um, it's a uh, a message that uh, looks like it has come from uh, the <laughs> from the treasurers of the United States Treasury Verification Department Financial Transaction Verification 
Um, hmm. <laughs> and the very right that's that's what it says and of course the uh the from address and the reply to address look nothing like uh email addresses you would expect to receive from the tre- uh, treasury department one of them ends in <laughs> .de one of them ends in .do um and the first line of the email is actually written in dutch and it says scroll down for uh german and dutch translations but oh. uh the subject is recall of your refund so, Dave, why don't you take it away as Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen? It says, recall of your fund. I am Janet L. Yellen, Secretary for International Finance of United States Treasury Department. Be informed that your fund has been recalled back from the offshore payment center. This recall was after the interception of the fraud attempt by some group of suspected fraudulent officials who was trying to divert the fund to another account by the International Remittance Office. It was detected after reconciliation of payment files, which was directed by Board of Directors of the United Nations Economic Commission and the United States Treasury Department after the financial submitting which mandated United States Treasury Department to investigate all outstanding and approved payment which is presently pending with offshore payment centers around the world, which your payment file was among the file and irregularities was detected. The fund was called back based on these findings that upon thorough examination of your debt records to ascertain the genuineness of the chargeable claims and to determine whether or not the procedures of inheritance or contract were carried out in conformity with the existing regulations, the following discrepancies were duly discovered. One, your payment procedures were being handled in an unusual transaction pattern, which gave the avenue for all these fallacies and also bogus promises, which is totally impossible in any part of the world, and also to use it as a blackmail means of extorting money from you. All these contributed to make it impossible for you to receive your fund. Two, there was a large-scale documentary pilferage, procedure diversions using UN existing offshore payment exercise, and documentary subversion, procedural hijacking through fraudulent manipulations, all meant to divert your attention by frustrating you out patience for possible diversion of your payment to other account. Based on that, your fund has been recalled back by the order of the United States Treasury Department Board of Directors for immediate retransfer to your account that will be provided by you. Mm-hmm. The Board of Directors of the United States Treasury Department has appointed a trusted financial consultant by name Professor Anthony Durant that will oversee and approve every payment that will be released to any foreign beneficiary. You are required to send this email below. 1. Receipt of last payment made, if any. 2. How much is in your fund. 3. International passport for identification. 4. Last stage of your funds. All documents about the funds. You are advised urgently to contact Professor Anthony Durant, whom your file has been directed to for final verification and release to your account through our corresponding bank. Your urgent contact to Professor Anthony Durant will be highly in your favor based on the finding in your file and also an attempt by some fraudulent officials to divert your funds. Your urgent contact will be in your favor and also you are advised to stop any communication to any office or person. Be duly guided. Yours sincerely, Janet L. Yellen, Secretary, Department of the Treasury. So wow. there's there, there's a long one, and it's it, it seems like there's a lot of like uh, you know if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with BS in here. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of things that go on in here. Like I'm, is that a sentence? I don't know. What oh that, my gosh! Any of those words strung together mean? Right. Um, Evidently, this email is being billed by the use of periods. You know, right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are there are very few. So Felipe wants to know what's going on. I here's what I think is this is a uh, I don't know if this is just a phishing email or if this is an email that's going after people that have already been victimized. But it looks like what's called a follow on scam. Mm. Uh, a lot of times when people are scammed out of money. Uh, the next step in that scam is somebody com- calling them up to impersonate law enforcement to go, hey, we got some of your money back, but we need to, you know, we, we need more information from you to get it back to you. And then they just right. scam them out of more money with, with advanced fee scams. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what this looks like to me. Uh, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that really makes me angry, Dave. <laughs> which is which is one of those things I'm really I'm really happy about the guys that had that call center where they're trying to penetrate the other call the uh, scammer call centers. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're also you know they're asking for your passport here, so there's some identity theft absolutely attempt absolutely yeah. And, yeah. and maybe banking account information. Sure, and uh, how much money you have? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, are you worth uh, my time? Right. Exactly. How much money can I scam this guy out of? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, 
All right. Well, it's an interesting one. And uh, again, thanks to uh, Philippe or Felipe, however you pronounce it, for uh, sending this in to us. We do appreciate it. And of course, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. It's always great to welcome Carol Terrio back to the show. And this time, she is speaking with Chris Kirsch, who is co-founder and CEO of an organization called Run Zero. Uh, and he has his bona fides when it comes to uh, social engineering at DEF CON. Uh, mm-hmm. He's quite well known for his skills there. He has and a black conversation. Badge. Yeah, he has his black badge, which uh, they right. don't just hand out to anybody. Nope. Uh, you can, that <laughs> so, means he can go to any DEF CON ever in the future. Yeah. So they're talking about uh, open source intelligence and, and uh, vishing pretexts. So here's Carol Terrio speaking with Chris Kirsch. So today we welcome Chris Kirsch, co-founder and CEO of Run Zero. He's been in InfoSec his entire life and holds a DEF CON black badge for social engineering, which means he knows a lot about this stuff, guys. Welcome once again to Hacking Humans, Chris. Thank you for having me, Carol. <laughs> so, Chris, recently you were asked to judge the vishing competition at the social engineering community at DEF CON. This is the world's largest hacking conference. And you were able to collect data at this event. Now, you have published this great article on Medium with all your findings. And I really want to zero in on a specific finding in your research. But first, what do listeners need to know about this DEF CON vishing competition and your role as judge or researcher? Sure, yeah. So uh, if people are listening to this podcast, they probably have an appreciation of what social engineering is. So kind of using the human angle to uh, to security and, and uh, actually uh, trying to trick humans, right? And uh, most people are familiar with the word phishing with a PH, which is uh, sending scam emails. What we're talking about here is vishing with a V, which is much lesser known, and that's basically voice phishing. So it means, um, you know, the equivalent of a prank call, uh, but not to prank somebody, but to actually extract information or get them to do something. Mm. Right. And so uh, this is this is a, a hacking technique uh, that's often combined with other techniques uh, of hacking into computers and so on. But that human angle can can really help get a first foothold into an organization. And I think we've seen that recently with, you know, the Uber hack, there was a big component of social engineering there and so on. So that's, uh, it can be a big component in, in getting in. How would a vishing, like, can you just give me an example, walk me through a vishing attack, so just so our listeners can, you know, have never heard the term before, can get it? Sure. Um, so somebody might call you as an end user at a company or even at home, you know, um, the the common attacks at home are, hi, I'm calling from Microsoft and I'm calling because your computer is slow to, you know, Mm -hmm. handle your support requests and then they're doing some stuff. In a company, it actually often isn't much different. The pretext, so the reason why people call and, you know, who they pretend to be can be a little bit different. But uh, what we found in this competition is actually that most people still picked some kind of IT uh, pretext. So, like an IT help desk reaching out or an IT security survey where they're saying, hey, just wanted to get your feedback or a software satisfaction survey, something like that. They were able to extract a lot of information through that. Right. So they're basically pretending to be something else and they're trying to extract information in order to be able to bypass the company's security and get into the network. Is that the game? That's pretty much it. Yeah, either uh, get into the the digital network or actually get into the building. So right. about half of the objectives and objectives are pieces of information that they have to gather. Half of those are to get into the network, and half of those are actually to get physically get into the building. Wow. Okay. So the one thing that I can imagine here is before you make one of these calls, you've got to do some recon, right? You know how to know who you're calling. You got to go know how the, the lingo inside the company works, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. You don't just pick up the phone and give it a go. I mean, you know, some very talented people can do that, but your chances of being successful are so much higher if you really do your research. And 
most uh, contestants here in this competition invested between 40 and 120 hours in online research to to figure out things about the company, lingo, wow. systems, anything they can find so that they can sound like an insider when they're calling the company. Okay, now you, in your great article on Medium, you wrote about the top places that these people were going to to try and get some information on the company that they were targeting. And you've put them in order, haven't you? <laughs> yes. So can we start Can we start with the third from the top, please? Sure, that? yeah, yeah. So the third from the top, it's a technical term called Google dorking. But what it really means is using advanced Google searches to, to try and find something. So for example, you can try, uh, you can modify your Google search to say, I only want to find Excel files or, or I only want to find things on a specific website and then add search terms. So just think of it as advanced Google searching. Right. Okay. That was number three. Okay. That was a, a whole bunch of things where people found things and that's huh. very common. Number two? Number two was LinkedIn. Uh, a lot of people uh, use that to showcase their skills. They want to look good in front of their peers, prospective employers, and so on. And they will talk a lot about the type of technology that they're working on inside a company. So that gives you a ton of information, sometimes right down to the version of the software, of mm. uh, something that's being used inside the company, and who is the administrator for that software. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably, uh, that's really naughty. I find LinkedIn very scary that way, especially our younger people that are getting on there looking for jobs tend to put every single thing that they've ever achieved. I understand why, but they leave themselves open. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Maybe we should do that sometime. Yeah. It's not just the younger people. It's actually a, a across generations, really. Really? Wow. And okay. And what was number one? What was the number one place that people went and tried to harvest information on companies? It was really interesting. It was, um, I don't think it's the, the number one place they went, but where they found the most once they had something. Ah. It was YouTube. Yeah, it was it YouTube. It was YouTube. And why? Uh, it's super interesting. So ha having done this before, um, I've stalked the YouTube channels of the companies that I was targeting. And it's very hard to go out and search for something specific. But when you have a, a, a whole list of things that you're trying to find and you go through the videos almost frame by frame you can find things like uh, you know recruiting videos where they walk into the building you see exactly what the access control looks like what the doors look like what the badge design is so they can you know at least uh, visually clone the badges you can see uh, wow. what kind of hardware they're using what kind of phone systems uh, often books on the wall with the technologies they're using if, if they're walking past the it department and then sometimes things just pinned up in uh, in cubicles, you know, information pinned up in cubicles. I've never heard of a reason to use 720p as opposed to 4K <laughs> before in my life. Because, of course, all these company yeah. videos and stuff that people put on YouTube, they tend to be high-end productions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> and and I think one, one or two contestants actually found uh, SSID, like Wi-Fi uh, passwords, in a virtual office tour. Um, wow. So that was super interesting. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing on YouTube was um, HR training videos. So yeah. some kind of a webcast that they've put up on on YouTube. And uh, you can tell a lot from the taskbar in the bottom right. You know, like you see uh, what browser they have, what antivirus they have, what operating system they have, all of these things. If you know what the icons look like, you can really tell a lot from that. Um, Chris, this is so fascinating because I'm thinking our listeners right now, hopefully if they're sitting there having their breakfast or their lunch, have stopped chewing and going, oh, jeez, maybe I need to review <laughs> what we've got out there because maybe I'm handing it over, uh, you know, in a beautiful 4K package. Yeah, yeah. High, high production value. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. This is Chris Kirsch, the co-founder and CEO of Run Zero. Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. And listeners, do go check out that article. There's some fascinating findings there, and it's on Medium. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. All right, Joe, what do you think? Vishing. Do I rant about how much I hate these terms, Dave? Do I? No, I don't think I will. <laughs>
<laughs> I think everybody, I, I've said this enough. I, I don't like the term fishing, but that is the fishing, term of art. Smishing. Right, uh, smishing. Yeah. Fishing, I thought, was clever, right? P-H-I-S, yeah. yeah like, it's like, it, that ha- harkens back to phone freaking, where, where freaking was spelled with a P-H, like phone was. Right. right. But fishing now is, essentially, it's, I would say it's more like phone freaking, right? Where you, you call in. This is what um, Kevin Mitnick made his, uh, made his notoriety doing. Uh, yeah. Calling into places and providing a pretext of uh, something to try to get information out of people. Uh, it's right. just making phone calls into an organization, and it happens all the time. Uh, you yeah. know, there was a time I worked in uh, in an organization that that did work for the government, and we would get these calls from time to time. People would be, uh, you know, impersonating people with job offers, and they'd be calling into our into our office. Hmm. Uh, you know, we'd always hang up and and. But I'm sure there was somebody who listened and talked. Right. Um, that's really the issue is is not the people that listen, but the people that talk. Um, yeah. Home attacks in, in the home attacks, the of course, like we had with your uh your father in the in today's stories, uh, the home attack comes as a fake tech support scam. Um yeah. or a fake banking thing. Hey, it's your bank and uh somebody took a bunch of money out. Oh no. Let's go log into your computer and see if we can get that back. Um right. yeah, that's that's a scam. Don't do it. Uh in in this competition, uh, most people picked IT to impersonate, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a great thing to interpret because, for some reason, uh, well, it's 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 because it's not the people don't live the life I've lived, steeped in technology, Dave, and uh, you know, <laughs> looking at every gadget, going, oh, how does that work? They don't do that. They just go, oh, cool, I can play with this, or I can use it to do this, and right. I'm like. Well, I want to know everything down to the down to the transistors on this thing. Um, yeah. Most people don't want to know that, so the technology kind of becomes a little bit of an an enigma to them. They don't really know. Mm-hmm. So when somebody from IT calls and they say something, you have no way of judging whether that that's true or not. And it's not because you're you're less intelligent than I am. I can almost guarantee that's not the case. But <laughs> it's because <laughs> it's because you just haven't done what I've done with your life. And that is spend right. all your time looking at cool gadgets and wondering how they work and learning how they work and reading how they, and all that stuff. Cause that bores you. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. If that's how you choose to spend your time, it's, it's, it's just a different perspective, but people are taking advantage of that. Yeah. Um, it's, here's a very important point that Chris makes in the, in, in the, uh, in this discussion in the competition, most contestants spent about 40 to 120 hours doing what's called OSINT. That's open source intelligence gathering. Um, it just means going out and finding information out from places where you can always get information. That is one to three weeks of full-time effort to, to, to come up with, Ways to make it look like you're an insider. And the more time mm. you put into the information gathering or the OSINT phase, uh, the higher your probability of success. Right. I want to talk about the interesting sources uh, for, for OSINT. Uh, number three was Google searches. That uh, that doesn't really surprise me because there's a lot of information that Google indexes that people don't even realize that Google is out there indexing this. Uh, yeah. But they are. Like they're indexing Excel spreadsheets. Right. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, did you think that was happening when you put a web page up and you put Excel spreadsheets up that Google was consuming those spreadsheets, taking them apart, knowing that they're Excel files, indexing them, and then putting it back out there, putting out the search results or putting it into their into their uh, into their large index of of possible search results? And I was very surprised that number one was YouTube. And that people took mm. the time to go through painstakingly frame by frame. There's actually keyboard shortcuts you can do that with a video. Uh, and you can look at every single frame of, of a video and get information out of the frame in the background. And Carol yeah. makes a great point here that this is why we, you know, we, we've made the techno- technological advances now that we can shoot video in 4K and everything looks great. But now we're, we're putting out a lot of high-res images of everything in the background. So right, right. It's it's just a great source. Uh, there, it's I like wanna, when uh, when Captain Picard says on screen, right. magnify, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, if you zoom in on a picture and it has the resolution, you don't need to say enhance, right? It just it's there. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is I took a look at the article and uh, found some places that I thought were going to be, uh, what I was surprised to see on the list as sources. One is a vendor website. A vendor website pr- uh, providing all kinds of ways to get in, that's interesting. Uh, hmm. uh, job postings, 
that I I didn't expect that. Um, that but that makes complete sense to me. And then Street View. Street View was used to get a lot of information. In fact, if you put Street View together with the Google results, because I think Street View is a Google product, right? Yeah. Um, if you add those together, that was the number. Google was the number one uh, source, but uh, Chris broke it out between Google searches and uh, and Street View. So it's yeah. He puts number one as YouTube. By the way, also a Google product. Hmm. Um, not as helpful as I thought I would have expected. Uh, the, the glass door website didn't provide as much information as I was expecting to see. And the Wayback machine was also not particularly helpful. Um, I thought, I thought I would have expected both of those to score higher than they did. They were actually all tied for last place at, at, with one, uh, artifact they, they produced. Huh. That is interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, our thanks to Carol Terrio for bringing that interview to us, and our thanks to Chris Kirsch from Run Zero for taking the time for us. We do appreciate it. Yeah, go check out that article on Medium. It's really good. That is our show. We want to thank everyone for listening. Our thanks to Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at harborlabs.com and isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.